All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in uh, sponsorship with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions, LLC. You're here with co-host father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great today, Andrew. Episode 61, we have our special guest. Give us the intro here. No, we don't really need an intro. He's been on several so, times. And so. I'll say his name right this time because my oh, dad can't. Dave Capuano. Okay, Cappy is his, is his nickname, on. so it's easy to remember dad. Former NHLer, great guy. <laughs> He's been on this uh, podcast a couple of times now. So, Dave, welcome to the show, man. Glad you're here. How are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, well, we are super good. glad to have you on. And uh, so two things we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about the, uh, the Mount Days, and we're going to talk about uh, your former coach, Coach uh, Belayo, uh, who passed away, uh, I think it was a week or maybe a week two ago, and asked you some questions about the program and the coach, and then we'll talk some Bruins hockey, uh, possible things and uh, uh, where the Bruins are at, where they need to go. And if Dave was part of the, uh, the uh, staff at the Boston Bruins, maybe uh, we can pick his brains for some trades or changes. So here we go. So stats. So Coach Belayo started at uh, Mount St. Charles in 75. Was there 42 seasons, Andrew? Uh, I think it was something like 32 state championships, 26 consecutive years of of a state championship. Uh, He is a USA Hockey Hall of Famer. I think he's one, if not the only U.S. uh, high school hockey coach to win over a thousand games. And of course, uh, he had Dave as a player and I think uh, numerous other uh, players that made it into the uh, NHL. So Dave, can you tell us a little bit about just about the program and, and the years that you were involved in. I, I sure will. Pretty good stats there, too. A pretty good memory for an old guy, too, Jim. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, what a somber week it was, um, you know, you know, going to uh, going to all the uh, going to the wake and and saying your last goodbyes. But you know, running into so many former players there, uh, it just brings back so many memories. Um, he, he was, he was one of a kind. He was, he was, it's almost like he was a fictional character. Um, a funny guy, a, you know, a guy where, you know, I tell the story all the time where, um, a lot of guys took showers when you're a freshman or a, a sophomore and he didn't like your first 10 minutes of a practice he would, he would come over and tap you and say, you're in the shower, go. <laughs> and, you know, there was no parents in the rink. There was no fans in the rink. There was nobody ever in the rink. There was no father or mother ever going to call Bill Belial and tell him how to do it or what to do. So I, all that stuff was taken out of the equation, which, you know, in my later years of, of hockey coaching, I wish I could have had that. Um, you know, cause we all know how, you know, I mean, you know, your kids are your kids, but how crazy parents can be. Um, you know, he, he was, he was, uh, always beginning a practice. He would always test us. Um, we'd be skating out there probably five, six, seven minutes. And all of a sudden the puck would come flying on the ice from somewhere in the rink. And, you know, we all knew not to touch the puck. Well, there's always that one guy, right? Always. Always the one guy, touches the puck, shoots it against the boards. Here comes Bill screaming and yelling, put it on the line, skate for 15, 20 minutes, puke buckets on the ice, throw it up on the ice, didn't care. Um, a lot of those things. Um, you know, guys, guys, you know, always the same guys in practice that would miss a pass. Pass would bounce off someone's stick. <laughs> and, and they, you know, the guy would flex his stick, look at his stick and coach would sk- skate over with his helmet. Well, he didn't wear a helmet back in those days. Later on, he did after his accident, but he would skate over with this short strides and he'd look at him. He goes, it's not the stick. It's the dummy holding it. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have these sayings all the time that, you know, I, I think you just you kind of have to go through the Mount experience to, to know what kind of a character he was. And, um, but he was strict. He was a he was he was as strict as you could get. And and in high school, I don't think a lot of us could appreciate, you know, 
what he was doing for us, but later in life, we sure did. So what years um, was he your coach? So I was there, I believe, 82 to 86, I believe, 81. Yeah, something like that. Um, all four years, obviously. Um, you know, it was funny. I was listening to Brian Boucher. Brian Boucher, obviously, a goalie, the goalie that uh, – that, uh, Played many years in the NHL and still holds the record, I believe, for the longest um, scoreless streak. He was telling a story. He was doing an interview with Coach Belial and telling the story about how Coach sent him to the JV team. And Coach was like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. And he said, yeah, you sent me down. He said, I sent you down for a day. And, this, and Brian said, no, you sent me down for a week. He goes, oh, oh, I told you to make sure when you came back here, you came back as a varsity goalie, not a JV goalie. And, it, and you know, it's, it's funny because you, you, you just, you can imagine these things that happen and imagine what, you know, obviously Brian turned out to be, um, you know, and there's just so many stories that, that go through your mind. So many, you forget, obviously at, at you know, when you're, you know, 13, 14 and, um, you don't remember all of them, but he was, he was just, um, he had something about him that the kids knew that he cared, but yet he was hard. It was hard to play for. But in the end, um, you know, like I said, when you left there, you, you kind of understood it. You know, when you're 17, 18, 19, you kind of understood what he did for everybody. So, um, of course, having the, the literally the dynasty that he, he, he created there, did he help at all with the players like yourself? I mean, you went to the University of Maine. Uh, did he help with that transition? Did he help with uh, the scouts or handling some of the scouts from the different universities? Or was he hands off? Or what was he like when it came time for scholarships and things like that for his players? He, he didn't have much to do with any of that. Um, I mean, there was many nights when Bobby Orr was in our rink, Eddie Johnston. Um, and he didn't, he didn't care. He didn't care who you were. He, he didn't he, he, um, what he prepared us for, I think for us, practice was so hard. And I think you hear a lot of people say this, even I, you know, you look at Bill Belichick and the Patriots practice was so hard. We couldn't wait to play a game. And in high school, we only played, I think, I mean, was it an 18 game league schedule, maybe 38 games total or something it's ridiculous. I mean, we didn't play a lot of games. We practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and played Friday, Saturday. And sometimes we, you know, I remember we, we beat Henrikin, which was our big rival at the time where David Emma played, Robbie Goodrow played. I mean, they had some good teams too. And um, we played Henrikin one night. And we won, we were up seven, nothing and going into the third period. And we, the third period, we lost period one, nothing. So we all get on the bus. We're on our way back. And he says, no one off the bus. We're going to skate for 20 minutes. We had to go back, put our gear on, go on the ice, buckets on the ice, no pucks, 20 minutes of lines. Um, you know, for us not playing that third period and, wow. you know, it, and, and parents never said anything. Parents never, you know, I couldn't complain. Um, and I think it just, you know, those are some of the, those are some of the things that, that he taught us. So you're, you're going through this in the, in the mid eighties through the program and yet the streak starts in 1978, as far as the state championship. Yep. Um, was the, cause at that point it's what, maybe, uh, 45 years, uh, into the streak that lasted, uh, 26 years. Yeah. Uh, was there any discussion of it or was it through the players of, Hey, you don't want to be a member of the team that breaks this streak that we've got going. You know, it's, it's, it's a, that's a great question. We, um, I don't think we ever thought of that. You know, we, you know, my junior and senior year, I think we lost one game each year. Um, <laughs> Uh, my junior year, I think we had between juniors and seniors, we had, you know, and, and don't forget, there wasn't a lot of guys that got a lot of ice time. I mean, basically, we played two lines and we played 4D or maybe 5D. 
And the third line, you know, played probably more my junior year because it was, was so deep. We were such a deep team. Um, but it's just, it's, uh, we, I don't think we ever thought about losing now later on. I think it happened. Actually, my cousin was the captain of the team when they were down two games to one or was they were down one to it was a two to one one it was one best of three series or whatever best of five whatever it was and they were down with like nine seconds to go and they off the face off they tied the game up and won an overtime to force another game and then that then that game went to overtime and they won in that overtime so there's been some crazy finishes later on when you know kind of hockey started to go more the junior way i think you know, a lot of people left rhode island or went to play other because most people any, anybody around here at the time 99 percent of them wanted to go play for bill belial and he they didn't recruit early on i think they had guys from canada come down and some of the you know french canadians come down and but you know, people, somebody asked me that too. Well, you know, I heard Mount recruited. They never recruited anybody. You just wanted to go play for, for, for Bill Belisle and play for, for Mount St. Charles. Um, but I mean, the, the kids that, the, you know, the players that have gone through there, you know, to have, you know, Brian Lawton and, and, and Barad and Boucher and Keith Carney and Matthew Schneider. I mean, Matthew Schneider's, you know, another hall of fame guy. Like it's just, um, it's just remarkable. It really is remarkable what he did and, and uh, his legacy that he left. So, uh, you know, you, you're hitting a lot on the, the sort of personal things as far as personal attributes, attitudes, discipline. What was he like as far as strategist as a coach? There wasn't much of that. There wasn't much of that. Um, there was no third guy high. There was no, you know, F1, F2, F3. Um, back pressure. Now they back pressure guys coming back. It was more so, it was more so just work ethic. I think he had, you know, we had the most talent by far. So I think what he installed was just work ethic in everybody, um, you know, driving to the net, those type of things, but there was really not a lot of systems. When I got to Maine, um, a whole lot more systems than when I was ever, you know, ever at, at, at Mount, there was never a, you know, we had, you know, it was more like, almost like, you know, you had so much skilled guys that didn't have to be the some system. We were almost like, at times it was almost like the Russians. When you, when you look at the Russians, we, we wanted the puck. We didn't want to get rid of the puck and, that kind of has gone by the wayside today a little bit. I, you know, a lot, um, but we had such talented teams that, you know, the more we had the puck, um, I don't think we needed a lot of systems. It was kind of like, you know, guys get open, you find them and, you know, you go get the puck and you work for it and you make things happen. It wasn't a lot of systems like that. So it sounds like he kind of let you play your game or develop into the game that you were you know, destined to play, you know, talking about each player, but yeah. was there ever a point where maybe someone is being too much of a puck hog, not hitting the open guys? Would he just lay into them or would he just kind of let them do what they felt they needed to do? Oh no. He would tell you if someone was open and you didn't move the puck, he would tell you. Even if you, even if you scored the goal. Um. I don't know about that, but I mean, if, if guys were open, he wanted you moving the puck and, and, you know, I, I think he, there were some guys that didn't see the ice well and, and he would stop and, and stop them and, and show them what to do and show them the guy was open. He was very animated at, at how he taught. His passion for the game was, was something like very similar to Sean Walsh. When I got to Maine, Sean Walsh's passion was off the charts but nothing compared to what Bill would do. Like it was just, his passion was, was, and it was instilled in, in all of us. I mean, when your coach is like that, right. So, um, but he, you know, it, it was, you know, as far as, you know, as far as, you know, the whole scouts thing and everything like that, I think that it was so different than where like my junior year, we had probably, you know, between the 
five or six guys in my junior year and seven or eight guys my that were seniors that all had D1 scholarships. So you had 12, 13 guys with D1 scholarships, um, you know, and then he would always give you the line. I don't care what, you know, I don't care where you're going. I don't care who's scouting. I don't, you, you know, he would always throw that at us sometimes. And, you know, but, um, you know, he didn't care. I, I mean, I remember when Lou Nanny, I don't know if you guys had read that, but Lou Nanny came to the rink. No, wanted, to watch, wanted to watch Brian Lawton play and Smokey Cerrone, who owned, who, who ran a car dealership here, Cerrone's, uh, Cerrone's Oldsmobile back in the day um, was a scout, was the head scout for the Minnesota North Stars. And the Minnesota North Stars ended up drafting Brian Lawton number one that year. Um, and Smokey came in the rink and, and, the, and the rink was so quiet. If you, that door opened, you could hear it. So he's, he immediately went from one side of the rink all the way to the other side of the rink stopped, you know, gave it the two handed stop and snow comes up and, you know, animated bill and, you know, who's there. And it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's smoky Cerrone. What are you doing in here? I'm with, you know, I'm with, uh, I'm with Looney and he wants to come watch Brian practice. You know, my rules out the door, out the door. <laughs> so Looney and I go with Looney and and smoky Cerrone out the door. And that, that was his rules. And, and, you know, again, it's just, it's just, the whole thing is like so remarkable. I mean, obviously, hopefully someone writes another book on it or something, but it's just, it's just, a, you know, like I said, his legacy is, it doesn't, unless you were inside those, those doors being closed, it's hard to explain it really is. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, you, you mentioned, and, and I did see the Boucher uh, interview with him uh, that, that was posted of talking about him, you know, if you're not playing the way you need to play down in the, in the uh, JV, you go. So was that a thing on the team of, Hey, there was always a threat of you being demoted. Uh, was that a motivation thing or were you guys just so damn good? It sounds like you knew you weren't going to go, but you didn't want to disappoint the coach. It, it was more my freshman year. Very similar, very similar. I, I mean, obviously that Brian Lawton's was a senior my freshman year. So you know, I didn't play much. Fourth line guy, a um, couple shifts a game. And I would practice with the JV sometimes or play JV games. And a lot of us did it. Um, so I think it was, you know, I don't know what it was. It was practice or whatnot. And, and um, after practice, he called me over and he says to me, you know, he says, just skating all week next week with the JV. So I had to skate, you know, nine to nine to 11 and whatever. And then one to four for five straight days. So that was on the ice for six hours for five straight days. And, you know, but again, this was his way of, I think he, he see, he saw what was in, installed in me as my talent. And I think he knew what he had, a, you know, what he had to do to bring out for me. And I think he obviously for a lot of guys, but yeah, and the JV was always a, you know, you never knew, you know, you know, you, I, I remember we were in Portland, Maine. Uh, I was a sophomore and it's a big difference because when you're a freshman, you're kind of nervous. You, as you, you know, by the time you're a junior for me in my junior and senior year, there was never much said, you know, it was never much done. Um, but my sophomore year, we were playing in Portland, Maine, and we were playing, you know, I think they were, they had one of the best teams up there and we we're down Two one, the first my first or second shift, I my guy went to the post and I missed my guy going back to the post and the guy scored back to the bench. He said to Dave Belial, he says, He Cappy, you sit. He sit him. So I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there. And the first period goes by, I'm sitting there. Second period goes by, I'm sitting there. So about halfway through the second period, we're down, I think we're down three, three, one now. And Dave looks at his father and says, You know, can I play him now? Can I play him now? And you play him, but he you know, and then he screams at me again, don't miss my guy, whatever, you know, but again, you know, it's motivational, right? I didn't want to miss a shift. I scored three, we won five, four, you know? So, you know, it's one of those things that, that it was a, a teaching, it's a teaching aspect that he used. And, um, you know, you know, you look back now and that's, and you know why he was doing it. And, you know, it was, um, 
just a lot of those type of stories with me and a lot of other guys. So you, you know, you go on, you have a, I mean, just an incredible career at, at, at Maine. Uh, you, you make it as a pro you're playing in the NHL. Uh, did the coach, I mean, obviously you kept in touch with, with the coach, but did he ever talk anything about that? Like, Hey, congrats this, or was it just kind of like, Hey, it was good to see you. I don't care if you were playing with the Vancouver Canucks or if you're, you know, not playing hockey, you know? No, so many, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't a lot of time when, when, when I went back there, obviously the seasons are overlapped. Yeah. So, but whenever, whenever I did go back and see him, obviously it's the big, you know, hug, you know, and, you know, just nothing to do with coaching anymore. He's just at that point, almost like a father figure to everybody and how you doing, you know? Um, so, uh, but he was always so happy to see everybody. So happy. Nice. So, and, and kind of what I'll ask this last question. So, you know, you talk about, you know, he showed us that he, that he cared about us, but yet it sounds like it was a lot of tough love, uh, kind of drill sergeant ish, if I could say that, what, what were some of the things that would let you guys know that he, he did care and he cared about each individual, not just the team. Well, I think, I think his animations, I don't know if you saw some of the videos on the hip hip hooray stuff he did. Do you guys see that at all? I didn't see that. No. So, so after every game he would come in and he would say hip hip and we would say hooray and he'd come out in the locker room and you know, that was his, you know, his little thing to do every single game after we won, but he would also, you know, call us in all the time. I mean, he had this, he had this, you know, at Mount, we had this, um, our locker room was underneath the stands and, um, we all had our own stalls and all that stuff compared to a lot of other high school teams where they just, we had our own rink. So he had his own office and he had this, you know, we had pictures on the door of all of us. He had, you know, little sayings on, on, on the door with everybody's name on it. You know, this guy going to the net, this guy, you know, top shelf, this guy, all his little sayings. And then a lot of times he would call you in, he would shut the door and he would have a lot of, of good things to say to you. Nice. Nice. Well, now we'll probably talk about some unpleasant things. Uh, the Boston Bruins and where the Bruins are going to go this season. They're on a hot streak, Andrew. And I told you, I'd yeah. leave, I'd leave a lot of this to you since I wanted to oh, handle yeah. a lot of the uh, Mount stuff. So let's talk a little uh, Boston Bruins. They're doing well at the moment. Right. But Andrew, you take it from here. I'm going to let you kind of talk. a little. Well, Dave, as you know, I mean, the big, big news for the Bruins is Tuka Rass coming back. We're sending down Swayman. First of all, do you think that was the right move? Obviously, Rasky's having a rough couple of games, but, you know, everybody needs tune-ups, but he did uh, express he did not want to be in Providence for the tune-ups, which is probably the smart move now. So what do you what do you think of the whole goaltending situation right now and the whole Rask thing? Well, I mean, obviously, if, it's hard for me to tell. I can't. I could never figure out if Rask was that good or were the Bruins defensively that good. And that's kind of where I'm still at. I'm, I think that the Bruins defensively aren't as good. So the quality he shots might be seeing might be different. Obviously, he's rusty, and obviously it's going to take him time. But obviously you have a goalie that's been there and can you know the level he can play at. So if you can pop him in to this lineup, it should make them a much better team. Now, so far it hasn't but I do think you got to give him five or six, seven games and he gets on everything underneath them. And I think that should definitely help him. But again, I don't know if, you know, when they had Chatter and they had, you know, some of the other defensive teams that they had, you know, he, the quality of shots that he's seen were a lot different and he always right. seemed to make the big save when he needed to make it. Right. Now, all Mark seems to be doing okay. I mean, when yeah. you look at his stats, the stats looks good. Um, you know, everybody, I think, compares him to, you know, whatever, a dream number one goalie. But what are your thoughts on um, Allmark? I think he's been good. I think he's been real good. And I think from the beginning of the year, I, that's the way that I thought they would go. I told you guys early on that Allmark would probably be their guy. But 
again, I, I think if they want to get to the next level, I still think that that Tuka Rask has to be the guy. Um, I, I think he's going to be the guy that does it. And I mean, you can install that type of player into your lineup, right? That's a huge trade, right? Think about it as a huge trade mid-year. But so far, it's panned out the other way. And I'm kind of hoping that, you know, another four or five games under his belt, he gets gets going back to the way he can play. And then it then the Bruins made the right decision. But I guess there's no guarantee in that either. Well, and so you had mentioned the defensive core not being as good as it normally is. Why, why is that? I mean, they get <clears throat> Forbert, big six, seven guy. Riley was doing well for us last season, obviously having, you know, inconsistencies this season. But is there a common theme or anything that you're seeing within this current Bruins uh, defensive core that is not going to win us a championship? Because that's the big thing is everybody just doesn't think that our defensive core will hold up through four rounds of playoffs. Well, I, I think the biggest thing that you said there is, you know, you had Chara for how many years? Right. I mean, you got a guy that's six, seven with six, nine on skates with this reach that was so good defensively, that was so tough on the PK that could beat you up. If you had, if you had to beat anybody up and then you lose a, you lose a guy like that. And I, it's, it's impossible to replace. So, you know, I think that they're good enough back there, but I, you know, I just, like I said, I don't know. I just don't know if they, if they need, you know, one other, one other guy back there, the big physical guy um, in the playoffs, we know it's a different game in the playoffs and, you know, can they, can they compete with a team like Colorado? Can they compete with a team like Tampa Bay? Um you know, that can, that can play some of the teams that can play heavy St. Louis down low below the goal lines. Can they compete with some of the D they have with, you know, their little smaller guys. And so what do you think of the new combination of Hall and uh, Poshnok? Obviously uh, the quote unquote perfection line being broken up is a big deal, but uh, you know, my father and I talked about it, that we think that every team in the league is found out and has studied the perfection line. Obviously you can't stop Marshall and Bergeron, but the person that couldn't get going was pasta sitting in his office and everything and everybody I feel like was double triple teaming him up. So what did, what do you, what do you think the Bruins, I mean, obviously he had moved down the line, you're starting to see success, but what, what do you think goes through a coach's mind when he has to make that decision? I mean, you're breaking up the best line in hockey and we heard what Krejci had to say, but at what point do you go, the league has figured out this line because they're not as dangerous when they get to the playoffs, they're shut down. Everybody knows. Well, first of all, it's, I think a, a you know, I don't think they're that type of line, like a McKinnon type of line where they can beat you with speed and power. So I think they're easy to shut down in the playoffs. Um, they move the puck real well. They, you know, I don't think they can, can, can be shut down per se in the playoffs, but the problem is you're matching them up with the best defensive forwards every single night and their best D because the, they're not worried about anybody else on the Bruins. That's one of the big things that, that I see over the last two or three years. So I think the Bruins had to make a change. I think they, 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 they put them down with the, with those second group. Now they got two lines that, that people have to fret about. And obviously a lot of times it's a power play and penalty killing that wins hockey games. So those are two things you have to really concern yourself with. And, and Marshawn and, and Bergeron are still two of the best in the league with killing penalties. And not only that, they, they're, they're a threat offensively. So I just think, I think they're in a good spot, but I just, I'm just, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more, continue more depth from that third and fourth line. And, and I think the fourth line nowadays, if you look at the NHL teams that have won the Stanley Cup, their fourth lines are all so good and heavy, deep, Islanders clutterbuck line, you know, Tampa Bay with, with their fourth line, especially their third line last year, those third and fourth lines seems to be the teams that are going to win the Stanley cup for you. And do you think, you know, especially with the DeBrus situation, he's our third line left winger, you know, I mean, what are the Bruins going to have to do to improve that forward depth? Because it looks like they're looking at defense. I know we got to, we got to get a top six forward. We have to have a top six defenseman. Everybody's saying to be competitive uh, for the cup, but you know, I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to address everything. So with the DeBrus situation and almost removing him from that depth, do you think that that's going to hurt at all? Or 
What do you think about that? I, you know, I, I, I look at their lineup and I look at the kid like Steen that's come up and played real well. Um, you know, speed creates offensive chances, takes the body, you know, mixes things up. You know, those are the type of things that you need that third and fourth line. As far as the, on the defensive end, I think that the Bruins, they have to try to, I think, make a trade. I think that, you know, Charlie Coyle comes to mind for me. Um, you know, probably you're going to have to give up something and, and it might even be like a stud nicker, um, in Providence who I feel has a lot of potential, but you're going to have to give up something. And I think that I, I don't think there's much of a choice because I think that they're coming to an end, you know, and pasta and Marchant and Bergeron, uh, obviously Bergeron and Marchant aren't getting any younger. So they're going to have to make a, they're going to have to make a move here and do something. And I, I think that, um, you know, I think that obviously Ras coming back has a lot to do with it too. You know, if he gets the top form, I, I don't, they're so good and structured defensively that on any night they can beat anybody. Right. You know, just, we watched the Colorado game the other night. I mean, in Colorado, Colorado's won what 16 in a row at home there. And, you know, it was a very good hockey game. Now, obviously McKinnon getting hurt early could have changed the dynamics of that game, but the Bruins defensively are so structured on every given night. They can, they can, they can win a hockey game, but can they win it over seven games against a big physical heavy team? And right. can their D hold up and can their third and fourth line chip in enough? And that's where Steen comes in. I think right. Steen's done a great job and I think that he's added to it, but I would like to, you know, we know like Tampa Bay's third line last year, how good that third line was. Oh, and Bruins can, the Bruins can do something like have a third line like that. And, and I don't, I don't think they do. Dave, let me ask you this, being a, a former NHLer. Uh, so you've got DeBrusque and what? Shin, Seneshin, yep, yep. Um, you know, they they publicly came out, or at least their agents came out, and said they want trades. They want off the team. I don't remember, you know, when I was watching hockey in the 80s and 90s, uh, I, I don't ever remember that ever coming up. So maybe it's a new thing today. But how disruptive would it be to a team when you've got a guy saying, I don't want to be on this team anymore? And having that attitude on the ice, clearly. I mean, you yeah. see it in the Brusque game sometimes, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the Brusque has been, it's been pretty good. Um, I, I just, and I, and I think, I think you have enough leadership between Bergeron and Marchant that that's not going to influx the locker room. And I don't think it has. Um and I think if, if, I think if the Bruins could do something that they wanted to do by now, they would have probably traded them. But sometimes guys aren't as good as what they think they are either. And, you know, you're not, you're not just going to give them away. Um, so it's a, it's a tough situation. I mean, there's, there's been times when I've been on teams you know, I, I think it has been out there when there's always been some type of graveling. Um, but I, I don't think it affects the locker room, especially with the leadership with, with Bergeron and, and Marshawn in there. How do you think the coach handled just uh, we don't have to take the Bruins, but any team in a generic form. How does a coach address that with the player? You know, the player comes out publicly, says or through the agent, he wants to be traded. What does the coach, does a coach sit him down? Does a coach just ignore him? What I'm sure that there's probably a meeting there between, you know, agent, player, general manager, coach, um, you know, especially today with Zoom and everything else, um, you know, just discussing it, saying, listen, we'll, we'll entertain the options. In the meantime, you need to go play and play hockey. And the better you play, you know, the, the better chance you have to move into a good team or whatever they had to say to him. But I'm, I'm sure that was discussed between all of them. Does that put the, in this case, the Bruins GM, does that put Sweeney uh, behind the eight ball when he's trying to deal with one of these players that want out because, you know, another GM may take advantage of that? It can't upgrade his trade value, him asking to leave for sure, so... Well, obviously, right, when you, someone knows you want to trade somebody, you know, you're not going to get as much, but I think the Bruins have sat back and basically said, you know, you know, we'll look for, we'll look to do something. And, 
I don't think they will unless something comes that they want to take. I don't right. think they're going to, I don't think they're going to tell them that what to do or how to do it, especially with Cam Neely sitting up there. Yeah. So besides uh, trying to get uh, a bigger defenseman for sure, what are the, what can the Bruins do this season? At, like, like I told Andrew Wilson gave the Bruins a wake up call of, you know, hitting uh, what's his name? Blee. Bleed. Yep. Hit and bleed, knocking them out. There's no response from anybody. And that's how the playoff series are going to run. And the Bruins are probably going to be out by first or second round because they're not going to have any players. And clean hit, by the way. It but was a clean hit, but there was no response to it. Wilson's going around. He knows nobody's going to go after him. Well, the next person up is Pasternak, right? And he's going to go after him next. So, but is that even how relevant can, now? How can coaches say win the game, right? So, yeah, but you can't win the game if your best players are, are hurt. But how can the Bruins address the toughness in that depth chart, which I feel they don't have? Especially well, it's not easy. I mean, who do you have? You have Frederick, right? Who's hurt. Hurt. Right. But he's that guy that that you need. Um, but I don't know if I know I, I feel like he's gonna just continue to get better. And I think he has. Um, and he's a tough kid and and um He's the type of kid that you that that can help you, but I don't I don't think he's a heavyweight by any means. Right. But it's tough to come by today. It's tough to get a guy today, you know. But I'm thinking of Tampa. Tampa had who last year? They had this center, the fourth line center that played from St. Louis. Um, oh, Pat Maroon. Maroon. Pat Maroon. So they have a guy there that will step up and and fight anybody, right. um, and he can play a little bit, right? So. You know he's he's done really well for himself, uh, but I, I I think they're hard to come by. It's very hard to have to, to to come by a guy like that, and I think that's you know look at you know I think that's kind of what set off the Rangers last year. The Rangers after that happened to to their player, you know their GM I think or the owner of the team said that's it. You know they went out and signed the guy from Vegas right. Um, right. Reeves. Yep. So. Yeah, I know you. I know I know what you're saying, and it's it is a huge point. I mean, back in when I played, you know, that fourth line was not really a line you're looking to go out there and play hockey. You're looking to go out there and set the tempo if you're losing, or if, if there's a nasty hit or a response. Um, you knew what was coming when that fourth line stepped on the ice. And of course, right now there is a huge fascination in the league with the quote unquote Tom Wilson's right because he can do everything on the ice. He doesn't even have to do um, the agitating shit that he does. But are, do you think that you're going to start to see more players and people look at that model, and especially the teams that won the past few Stanley Cups? I mean, they're all big, heavy teams that can make it through. Not necessarily toughness. I know that there's that obsession with the toughness thing. We need to win games in the 1980s, but there has to be a balance, obviously. So do you think you're going to start seeing more younger players looking to model their game after a Tom Wilson and look to be not only, you know, a tough guy, but still be able to play, but have that edge to him and not be afraid to have that. Or do you think it's not? Cause it's not I, relevant. I, I, I think it's relevant for sure. Andrew, I think that, you know, you look at the to Chucks who both play that style, right? I mean, if, but they're not really huge, big guys, you know, per se, um, you know, they're not 220 pound guys. So, but, um, I, I, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, I see more of the, the stuff that's coming up continues to come up as, as more as skill guys. And we've seen it last night with, you know, the Anaheim forward scoring the goal he scored last night again, um, just talented, talented guys. And that's more so where the league is going. You know, so what do, you, what, what do you think of that play? You know, everybody's like lacrosse, right? It's pretty, I mean, pretty damn good play to me, I mean, man. If you, tried that, if, you tried, if you tried that in the, uh, you know, Vancouver Canucks here with Dave Capuano, that, that, that you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't have made it to the bench. They wouldn't have tolerated that. Well, why don't the coaches say, take a run at him? I mean, well, you, can't, you can't let him sit behind the net. I, I know, know the Bruins system don't let him chase behind the net like Cassie. Let's said, ask the real player. Yeah. Dave, what do you that, think? That, yeah. And that's that, enough couch GM. <laughs> I mean, that goal last yeah. night was, I mean, it was just a, it was all one motion. It wasn't like he was sitting behind the net. He was coming behind that one motion. And I'm sure that he's practiced that a thousand times. It's funny because I was skating on a pond. My friend has a pond and um, 
finally froze down here in the new England weathers the last few years, it hasn't frozen. Um, he has a nice little pond. He, he had the, the nets out there. He had the, the, uh, the fire going on the pond. He had the, the barbecue going on the pond and then probably six, six or seven little kids showed up, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds. And the first thing they're doing is going behind the nets, trying to emulate this goal. Yeah. So half of me says, you know, that's what you want. I mean, that's what, you know, we sat there and watched the USA win a gold medal. And these kids are sitting there watching, you know, these type of goals. And that's only promoting the game. It's promoting the kids. It's, it's, and it's having fun because if you don't have fun, why play the game? So I don't, that goal last night, it was a goal. I mean, it's a goal, no matter how you look at it. It was a goal, it was an important goal in the game. And, um, I don't, was it, would it be tolerated in my era? I don't think so. No, <laughs> but we're not in that era anymore. And, and it's also, it's also tough to score today compared to my era. Right. Because the goalies back then didn't have the padding they have, didn't have, they weren't as big as they were. Um, Except your friend, Garth Snow. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he did. And he, he was a competitive boy, I'll tell you. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, really tough to, uh, you know, I, I think Billy Smith would have something to say <laughs> about that. And um, that two hand whack would that stick come flying would, would come flying. Yeah. But uh, you know, again, it's, it's tough to score and, and I, I don't know. I, I give them a lot of credit because what he did last night, he made it very look very easy, and it's not that easy when you're when you're kind of in full full stride. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody here has caught the uh, McDavid goal uh, against uh, Soros of uh, uh, Nashville, but this guy's hand so quick. I mean, he just made poor Soros look terrible. I heard about it. Yeah, Soros is still looking for the puck. I think you know. But McDavid was so fast. But yeah, we had on Dave Jackson, Dave, a couple of weeks ago, who, you know, did like 1600 NHL games as a head ref. And he mentioned that he doesn't understand how anybody can score goals today because these goalies are so big and cover the whole net. But uh, yet there's a lot of goals being scored. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. The skill level for these, the skill level today. And like I said, Back in the day, I mean, you kind of had like two offensive lines and then you had a, a third line that was more a checking line. And then you had a fourth line that was a make sure nothing happened line. So nice. now you got, you know, four lines and these kids on the fourth line can play. So, you know, when you look at the New York Islanders with the Clutterbuck and, and, and um, that line, they have um, Martin. I mean, that's a, I mean, when they're going in Sezikis, I mean, that's a great line. So, you know, you put that line on the Bruins, you're talking a Stanley Cup team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's because you got, cause you got someone like, like Jim said, we got someone like Martin that's a big, strong, heavy guy. And, and he's going to, he's, he's, people know he's on the other bench. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's not easy to find those guys. It's just not easy. So um, I'm not particularly interested in here, but I know some of our listeners, they love to talk GM and coach. So I'll ask this question. Uh, there's a lot of talk of, uh, you know, uh, the stress of a coach and now a GM since Sweeney's been there a lot, you know, not to go through his, some of his picks that have worked out or didn't work out, but at what point, I know your brother Jack's gone through this. At what point does a coach start to feel the pressure from the owner, the GM, the whoever of, Hey, if it doesn't start clicking and happening here and you don't get deep or at least make it to the finals, we need to make a change. And when does a GM go, geez, the leash on me is getting pretty tight and the owner may replace me because we're not going deep. I think these guys feel it every year. To be honest, I think every year they feel it. Um, now, with the, the amount of money that they make, I don't think they're too worried about losing their job. But I'm, I'm sure they 
they, um, you know, and you look at Don Sweeney, he, he's done such a great job with contracts on top of, of, of you know, and, you know, I kind of hop on him for a couple of the, the moves he drafts that he, that he didn't take, but, you know, he, he signed Bergeron, Marchant, Pasternak, very good contracts. I mean, they could have been making two and a half million dollars more a piece a year. And that would really tie that team up. Um, you look, so, so he's done a great job there. Um, but as far as drafting, you know, they haven't done a great job drafting. And, and I think that's where the, the disconnect is with this team, Jim. I think if, if they're draft, and, and, and I don't know if, if it's his fault, these kids are 17 years old, 18 years old, when you're drafting them, it's not an easy game. Yeah, it's easy to draft Mario. It's easy to draft, you know, Eric Lindros, but how it's not easy to draft. I mean, you look at Lafreniere from, you know, the, the Rangers. He was a, you know, number one can't miss kid. He's still not. He's still, you know, playing well, but, you know, he still has a ways to go. Um, you know, so it, it's not easy drafting, but, but why is Tampa Bay so good at it? Right. Why is Tampa Bay draft so well? So there is a fine line there. And, 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 and I think as a GM, you have to find the best scouts and find a reason why other teams are drafting well. So that I think it does come back on them. Yeah. So something that, and we've had on, and of course we have our good friend, Jeff Tui, who's a, 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 a scout for what, Florida now, mm-hmm. but anyway, how much of a role does scouting uh, play in the NHL these days? I mean, we know what it was back in the day. How important is it today or is it important? It's, it's probably the most important thing. It's probably because you, you're building your team from the draft. I mean, that's, you look at what Detroit's going back to do now, Detroit's now building their team again through the draft. Uh, Eisenman did it down in Tampa and, and now he's doing it again. And Detroit's kind of trying to make that turn and they're making that turn. And, you know, but again, you, you also, you got to get lucky. But, and, and, and the question all the time is, do I draft for need or do I draft the best player? I think the Chicago Blackhawks Taze fell in their hands, third pick overall in that draft. And the following year, they, they were lucky enough to get the first pick overall and they got Patrick Kane. So they got Taze and Kane in two years and, you know, yeah, they they built their team with three Stanley Cups. Yeah. So right. it, it it to me it's all about the draft, and to me it's all about finding the people that know how to scout, know how to find these guys, know the intangibles, and and can see forward what these guys are going to be like. And I think I'm sure it takes a special person, just like a just like a guy you play with on the ice that they can see the ice well and make plays and has good peripheral vision. I think it's the same thing as scouting. I, these guys have to have something special and they probably have a lot of experience, but it's, it's, that's, what's building your teams. And if, and you know, you go back and look, the Bruins had a chance to take Barzell. I mean, what do they look like now with Barzell, you know, behind Bergeron all these years. So, and they, and I think they had three picks to take them. Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest surprises to me going back to that draft to Don Sweeney to, to first of all, to keep, a 13, 14, 15, um, right. you know, I think you could have did something with one of them. Um, right. But then again, and then not to take Barzell, I think was obviously a clear mistake. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, you look at Edmonton too, they got two of the best players in the world, dry and McDavid. And uh, it's interesting, you know, you look back at the Wayne Gretzky days, it's almost like he just completely dominated no matter what team's dominating. But even if you have the best players in the world, your team could still suck. And right now there's no other word but suck for Edmonton because they've lost, what, 13, 14 of their last 15. And they've got the best players in the world. And that's always the argument that they use, obviously. What are your opinions on that? I, I think that hockey's that one sport where you can't have a LeBron James to dominate the whole league. I don't even think McDavid could do that. In fact, they've only won one round since McDavid has been in Edmonton at the playoffs, know. maybe a round. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, that's pretty bad if your two top players can't, can't help you. Well, let's look at it this way. What do they play? 18, 19 minutes a night. Probably a little more now. Shit. Yeah. 20 minutes a night. 
This is a 60 minute game. So they're on the ice only a third of the time. And I, you know, obviously two guys, I mean, you go back and look, let's go back and look at the Edmonton team. You had Gretzky, you had Messier, you had Curry, you had, uh, the defensive crew they had, Paul Coffey. Uh, I mean, look how deep that team was. It was. You're, you're naming Drusali, you know, Drusali and, and McDavid, and then, you know, what are you naming after that? And they don't have they, – they're not strong in goal. Um, so, and I, I think that's one of the – you know, is that one of the – you know, I don't know what the contract situation was, but if I was the Bruins, I mean, can you can you throw everything at kitchen sink at, at, at Edmonton to get Drusali? I don't know. You know, like um, – but – I, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, you, you need more than two players. I mean, look at, I look at the way Ottawa's been playing now, seven, eight, they're, they're playing that since their whole COVID mishap and the whole bit um, they're playing great hockey. I mean, they're, they're, they're competing every single game. And, you know, I, I think the work ethic there is just tremendous. So, you know, is it coaching? Is it, you know, it, you know, but again, they they don't want to give up everything to, to um, they don't want to give up everything to to start over with. They're this still going through the draft. They got a great GM. They're going through the draft, so they're not going to give up. They want to continue to build the draft. Now they just signed Patrick Kane. We've been talking about this all night. You got a thirty goal scorer that's physical, that can fight, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna fill in with those two guys. He will change that dynamic of the team overnight. Overnight. Yeah. And Dave, I know we're talking about professionals here. Uh, it's what they do for a living. They have families. But how much does a culture of a team play into success? And what were some like, uh, uh, you know, examples of, of, of a good culture on teams that you played with back in the day? Meaning a, a team that players want to play on. They're happy to play on rather than just being a, I don't know, regular team. Right. I, I don't I don't. I think that guys are guys are pros and it, and if you're going to stay around that league, you're going to, you're going to be a good team player and you're going to be a good, you're going to be a guy that wants to be there. Um, I don't, I don't see that problem with Edmonton. I think Edmonton's not deep enough. I think that, you know, obviously Kane signed with them and it's going to make a world of difference. And I, I think that um, hopefully, you know, with McDavid being a leader there, I think that if he can keep his nose clean there, you know, that team could have just, you know, bumped up to, to, to making, you know, making a huge run at it. Um, what would Kane add to the Bruins? I mean, if I was the Bruins, I would have threw the kitchen sink at trying to get Kane. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, I think guys want to play, want to win the culture. Obviously, you know, teams have, you know, you have a bad, you know, I've, I've coached young kids. So in my experience with coaching young kids, you have the kids that want to complain. You have the kids that want to do this and you have the kids that just come there and work every single day. So for me as a coach, I want to get the kids that come there and work every single day and not complain about the little things or anything. And I think as a team, your team's going to be better for it. So, but I think when you get in that rut, like Edmonton, you start losing that many games, you start pointing fingers and it can go wish-washy on you. Right. Right. And last thing that I want to ask Dave is, is from, uh, again, your perspective is patience. So I'm looking at Swayman. We didn't really mention Swayman here. Um, you know, I think personally as the couch coach over here, I mean, he's done very well for the Bruins, young player, but certainly can play in the NHL. And the rumor is he didn't do it publicly, which is good for the kid. You know, but he didn't take the demotion well, uh, but he's going to get his chance. So as a player, sometimes you don't get what you want right away, even and sometimes, like you mentioned before, uh, sometimes players think they're a little bit better than what they really are. But how much for a player as a professional with being patient and waiting either for your time or for the opportunity, even though you want that opportunity tomorrow, but it might not come. How important is that as a player? Well, I think two, there's two parts to that. I think number one, that Swayman probably will be a better player for, for going through this and a better person when he gets there. I think the next time, 
I think that, you know, not, you know, I mean, he did nothing wrong. Um, just a tough situation. And I think you'd rather be playing than not playing. So you go to Providence, you know, but, you know, you, you feel like you're an NHL guy. He came from the University of Maine. He's a New England star. The next thing you know, he's being demoted to Providence. So I think that's a tough pill to swallow, right? So then on, on, on the other hand of it, you got you go to Providence, you play, and you, you prove that you shouldn't be there and you won't be there for long. But in the scheme of things in his career, I don't think it's a, it's a bad scenario. But obviously, you know, it's not easy when, when it's a, a blow to your ego. Right. Dave, the last thing I wanted to mention, and it's huge news because, I mean, I, I, nobody can believe this, but Arizona franchise having trouble, obviously. They, there's the rumor that is now confirmed that they're having talks it looks like it's heating up for a three, four year deal to be at which stadium? Arizona State University. Yes. Now, first of all, before you open your mouth and say something that you should, are you sure this is confirmed? It is confirmed. We'll go with almost confirmed. Nice. Dave knows he's a dad. So Dave, NHL team going to a 5,000 seat arena. I mean, what? what are your opinions? If that were to happen, does the NHL step in? I would I would think first and foremost that the NHL wouldn't allow it. That's kind of where I'm at. Right. Um, There's got to be some rules in place to where you can play and how many seats arena you can play at. Um, So I I don't know. It's the first I'm hearing of it through you tonight. Um, And I think it's interesting and and I'm going to reach out to some people and and see what they have to say. But on the, you know, on, on, my first opinion of it is how could they ever let this happen? Right. Right. Well, then you see that they weren't paying certain bills and everything. I mean, I don't even get how that happens. Do you think that they're going to move the franchise sooner? Do you think personally they should? And if they do, where do you think they should relocate hypothetically? Well, I mean, there's plenty of cities out there. Um, Obviously, you know, in Quebec city would be a, you know, they, I'm sure they would die to have a team back there. Um, I'm not sure we want another team in Canada, um, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of other spots that, that would, would entertain it. Um, but it's, it's very disappointing, um, to, to, to hear that that team is going through what they're going through and, and how does, how does a team perform Jim, like you've talked about on the player side of things. How do the players perform thinking that my team's not even paying the bills? Right. Yeah. So that's a very bad scenario. And, and hopefully the NHL steps in and, and, and makes a decision to figure that out and, and correct things. And I, I guess the last thing, now that I mentioned the NHL should step in and uh, Dave, the whole with the uh, Subban situation in the ECHL with uh, some of the racist gestures and, and, you know, uh, uh, do you feel the NHL should step in a little bit more with uh, these type of uh, issues or should they, should they, uh, I shouldn't say, should they stay out of it? But it, it seems like uh, these incidences do come up, uh, but it's certainly been a big problem. And I heard the player, I forget the ECHL player that, the team came out in kind of support of the player saying everything was kind of taken out of context, but it was pretty hard to see the video and not see kind of what it was. And the context was the, he was doing a different gesture, a tough guy gesture like Tom Wilson did. Oh, instead of an eight monkey gesture. Right. Which is easy to confuse, but he was already kicked out, you know, suspended for the rest of the time of the season, kicked off the team and everything. But, do, but was was this stuff prevalent in your no. college days, in your pro days, or is this just something that's been coming up in the last 20 years? Well, first of all, there wasn't a lot of African-Americans that I played against. Um, but actually, there was, you know, when at Maine, there was one one of our best friends uh, to this day, still my best friend, one of my best friends. Um, so it was but in my era, no, I never, you know, I never went 
I never seen a lot of it. Um, I did play against an Asian Asian kid in in the in the minors for a little bit. Um, no names. I'm not going to name names. Um, and guys, you know, I I remember guys could give them a hard time at times, you know. Um, but but you know, I mean, guys gave me a hard time. I was Italian. Guys would give me a hard time. So you know, it's it's the same thing, um, but different in that we're trying to clean this up. Obviously. Um, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of it. I didn't see, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like I said, there wasn't a lot of African-Americans that played at that, at that time. Um, but I never came across it. And I, and I, I feel bad for both sides in this because I did see where the kid made the video saying he wasn't gesturing that. And if that's the truth, then, you know, it's kind of sad that he's going through what he's going through because everybody's just saying it was. And even on the other side with the Subins, you, you know, we all put our skates on the same way, every single one of us. So you go out there and you play and, and it shouldn't be in today's age um, in today's, you know, life we live in, but it's happening. It, it's still happening and it's, it shouldn't happen. We sh at this point in time in this world, it shouldn't happen anymore. And it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of disappointing um, because it, it just, there's no need for it. Like I said, we all put our skates on the same way. Um, and it, it's very, it's, it's hard for both ends of it. Like I said, you, Jim, you said the kid, you know, that he said he wasn't gesturing that, you know, and then it's, it's took a, a whole life of its own across the board for this kid is like going to ruin his life if, you know, so it's tough. It, it is tough. I don't want to leave it on that note. So Dave, let me ask this and I'm going to preempt this knowing, hopefully knowing the Bruins are going to go into the playoffs. And if they do, Dave, yeah. we want to certainly have you back as we did last playoff season. I think you kind of guided us through the playoffs really well. How did you as a player, we're going to think about playoffs now it's coming up a couple months. How did you as a player, in the last, say, two or three weeks of the season, going into the playoffs, how did you prepare physically and mentally for playoffs each year? It's, it, you know, it's a different beast. How did you prepare? Well, I only got there once in the NHL. So, but in the minors, I got there a couple of times. It's, it's, you know, you prepare the same way. Everything is the same way. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a faster game. You, you know that it's a, it's a more intense game. It's a more physical game. And for me, what I, what I try to do is just be realize, realize that, you know, things are going to happen quicker. So I have to think quicker. And that was kind of what my game was like. Um, so that's kind of where I was at, but a lot of, a lot of guys do different things, but I don't think any changes are made as, you know, pregame meal, all, you know, all that stuff, putting your left skate on first, putting your right skate on second, you know, all those things that you did the same way all year, I don't think anything changes. And uh, you just, again, try to stay healthy, try to, you know, try to make sure you make sure you're eating right. But I think those guys all do it today. You know, back then we probably, you know, would still have a few cocktails or whatever. Now today they're probably on the bike after the game. So did you, did you uh, in a playoff series, did you tend to be more conservative and not, uh, make an instinctive play so you didn't want to make a mistake or did you actually take more chances? I don't think, I think it's the same game, Jim. I don't think you'd play it any differently other than like I said, for me was, um, was just making sure that my mind was clear and um, that I, that I was thinking the right way and um, mentally being, being prepared mentally. Um, at that point of the season, physically, you're, you know, these guys are all physically prepared. So I think it's more of a mental thing. And I think it's tough too, because you're playing a lot of games. So mentally you have to stay in it. And it's almost like coming down to the end of the season when you're on game 78, 79, 80, you, you know, for us, especially in Vancouver, the travel was, was so great that you kind of felt like you were playing the same game every night. Like you just, it was so mentally draining. And I think that's kind of the, the role the playoffs take, but sometimes you can get lucky in the playoffs and win a series in five and then 
you know, have six or seven days off. So I want to uh, remind our listeners and our new listeners that uh, Dave called the Stanley Cup champion last year. I do believe. He did. I do believe that Dave called it. So I'm not going to ask for his prediction now, but I will in the playoffs. But I will ask this prediction. Do you think the Bruins make it to the playoffs? If they stay healthy, yes, I think they do. And I think that Rask has to pick up his game here. But yes, I think they, they can make the playoffs. So, Dave, uh, hopefully you're willing to come back on, and uh, especially the playoffs, and be ready for a prediction. And this time, uh, well, shit, we don't have online betting. You do in, in Rhode Island, right? You'll have to make a bet for us. Yeah. If it's please. We, we do. You know, I was just going to say it was very unfortunate. I think I don't think it was – I don't know if it was legal at that point, but it's legal now. Um, and I didn't put any money on Tampa Bay. And I'm I'm a little disappointed that I didn't, but um, <laughs> I, I I did feel Tampa would would do it. But again, it's it, it takes a lot of luck. It takes a lot of you got to stay healthy. I mean, McKinnon going down the other night. Hopefully, he's not hurt too bad. He's only out for a couple of days and uh, gets back at it. But obviously, you know, Colorado's got a heck of a team, one heck of a team, and I I enjoy watching them play. Well, I want you to think long and hard about it. I know you're busy. You got a lot going on, but, uh, you know, I think I got a hundred, two hundred dollars. I'm going to invest here on Capuano, uh, prediction at the beginning of the playoff series. I would too. (laughs) Dave, we'll say goodbye off air, but officially we can't thank you enough. And, uh, we had a lot of fun. Thank you guys. Me too.